Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for reminding us this morning how good you are. Uh, thanks that you give us moments, uh, both from your scriptures and in our own life experiences, where we can say you are good. And uh, God, my hope is that each of us will be able to count at least 10,000, if not more, ways that you've been good to us. Father, thanks that you give us those mo- moments so that uh, when things get difficult, we can look back at them and know that not just in theory or on paper, but in reality, you have been good to us and we can trust you. Thanks that you ultimately proved your goodness by sending your son Jesus for us. And that's all the evidence that we should need that you love us and want good for us. So thanks for being you this morning. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to reset our minds and our souls by singing about you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. You have a seat. All right. So, before we jump in, uh, whether you're new here or been coming for a while, I'd love you to grab a yellow communication card uh, and go ahead and fill that out. We just love to know that you're here. Uh, there's space on the back for you to write down anything that you might want us to pray for. We've got a team of people that pray uh, for all the requests that come in each week, and we just, we'd love the opportunity to know how we can be praying for you. All right. Well, this morning... Uh, as we talk about being fiercely present with God, which is kind of where our series has been going, uh, I want to look at a pair of spiritual habits that are designed to help us slow down and help us listen better to God. And those practices are silence and solitude. Uh, before I jump in, though, I, I heard something the other weekend at our discipleship seminar that I think bears repeating. Um, a few weeks back, Dr. Yon and his sermon on... Uh, Sabbath referenced the passage where Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man or mankind, not man for the Sabbath. And the idea there is that uh, the Sabbath was supposed to be a gift to us that allowed us to uh, create space to experience God. Uh, It was not a new standard of performance or rule that we needed to keep. And uh, so that we can at the discipleship scenario, I was reminded that, that that's true for all of these spiritual practices that we've been talking about during the series, whether it's the ones today or one of the other ones that Tim or Brett have talked about over the weeks, uh, these habits are designed to help us uh, grow in our relationship with God, uh, grow in our relationship with others, and grow in our character. So they're not a point of uh, comparison. It's not a contest uh, to see who can do more spiritual practices than somebody else. It's not, we're not trying to see who can do them best or the fastest or the most often. Uh, You don't get any extra credit points with God if you do more or less of them. Uh, They're designed for us. Uh, It's kind of like exercise, right? So when you go to the gym and you start doing sit-ups, right, the goal of doing sit-ups is not so you can tell somebody else later in the day how many sit-ups that you did, right? It's it's so you can build a strong core, which will help you not have lower back pain and have good posture and all sorts of other wonderful, healthy side effects, right? That's why you do sit-ups. So it's not not a bragging thing. And the same thing is true uh, with our, our practice of any of these spiritual disciplines is they're for us so that we can be healthier people uh, with God and with others so we experience the life that God designed for us, which is the best life possible. Uh, so it's not a contest. So just let's keep that in mind. Maybe that reminder is more for me than anybody, but I figure if I need the reminder, so does somebody else. All right, so let's jump in uh, and look at solitude and silence. Uh, both of these practices, as we look at the New Testament writings, are things that Jesus himself modeled for us. 
Uh, in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34, we see Jesus having a full day of ministry. So in the morning, uh, he teaches at the synagogue, and then he heals a man who has an unclean spirit. Uh, then he heads to a friend's house for a meal, finds out that his mother-in-law is sick, so heals her. Uh, they have the meal, and then he spends the rest of the day and probably a good chunk of the night uh, teaching and healing people that would come to the house. And it doesn't tell us exactly how long they went, but it does say that the entire town showed up at the door of the home. So my guess is he probably went pretty late in the night. Well, verse 35 we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. So here we have Jesus after a busy day of ministry, uh, and hopefully after a decent night's sleep, uh, getting up early the next morning and going to be alone uh, and be quiet to be with God. We see a similar experience in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Earlier in that chapter, Jesus hears about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Uh, And in response, uh, verse 13 we read, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Uh, side note here, so a lot of the action uh, in the Gospels takes, around, takes place around this large lake uh, known as the Sea of Galilee, and there are all sorts of towns scattered out around the, the lake, and so it was very common for people to take a boat from one town to the other rather than take the road, and so that's what happens here. Jesus uh, hears the news about his cousin's death, and he thinks this is an appropriate time to be alone, and so he hops in a boat and goes off to be by himself. Unfortunately for Jesus, uh, the crowds that were following him saw him leave, and so they follow him on the road, and when he gets to his quiet place, it's, he's not alone and it's not quiet. There's a whole crowd of people there. Uh, so being that he's Jesus, uh, he has compassion on them, and he heals everybody that comes to him. And he ends the day by miraculously feeding 5,000 men and their families with a couple loaves of bread and two fish. So after it's all done, he sends the disciples who eventually made it uh, to the party. He he sends them away in a boat, and then he dismisses the crowd. And in verse 23, we read this. After he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So again, here we have Jesus getting away from the people and the noise, and he's going to be by himself to be alone with God so he can pray. And those are just two examples. Uh, This is not a sort of a hit and miss or a one-off thing that Jesus did occasionally. This was, as far as we can tell, it was a regular part of his experience. Uh, His practice with God was to get alone and to be quiet. And they they aren't things that he kept to himself. He actually invites his followers to join in those practices with him. Uh, If we look at Mark chapter 6, in verse 7, he sends out his 12 disciples uh, to minister to others, he sends them out to preach the good news of the kingdom uh, and to, to heal people who are sick. He sends them in pairs. And uh, in verse 30 and 32, we read about what happens when they get back from their, their trip. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, which Does that sound familiar to anybody, that you have so much going on that there's not even time to eat? Okay, so Jesus knows what that's like, not in theory, but he lived it right here in Matthew 6. Uh, So knowing that that was the case, he says to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. 
So here we have Jesus inviting his followers into the same practices of solitude and silence that he regularly engages in. And to be fair, because I know some of you will keep reading that passage, uh, you'll find out that Jesus' efforts to get the disciples away for some quiet solitude time was once again thwarted by the crowds. Uh, They showed up and he still had more to do. But again, his intention here is to get his people, uh, his followers away so that they can be alone and be quiet and hear from God. And if he invites his disciples in, then that means he invites us into these practices as well. So, real quick, I want to look at what solitude and then silence are, and we'll see what we can learn. Uh, This might sound obvious, but it helps to define things sometimes. So solitude, as we're talking about, is the practice uh, of intentionally being alone or away from people and society for a period of time. So there's a set start and stop time to that. Now, when I describe that, I know there are some people in this room that think, oh man, where do I sign up for that? Uh, All you introverts are just super excited that we're talking about this. But I also know that there are others in this room who think, oh Lord Jesus, please do not ask me to do that. Uh, And that's okay. I get it. We're all wired differently. I think everyone probably naturally gravitates towards certain spiritual practices more than others. And that's fine. That's who we are. Again, it's not a contest to see who can do more or better. Uh, The goal here is that wherever we're we're at in our journey with experience solitude, uh, in this case, the point is to take a step and try it because Jesus invites us into it. Uh, Spending even short periods of time alone can be really healthy for us in a number of different ways. Uh, First, it creates space for God. Uh, I think when we're around people all the time, it's very easy for us to just not even be aware of God uh, or our need for him because there's other people there. But when we get alone in solitude, the reality that God exists and that we need him becomes way more pronounced for us. And I think often it's in solitude that we're way more willing to invite God to help us, which is something we all need, we just don't always do. And so solitude helps us with that. Uh, Solitude also removes the pressure to do, and it gives us a space to just be. Now, for us North Americans, that can be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, So many of us find a good chunk of our value in life by or from either what we do or how much of it we do. Uh, Doing seems to be an important part of American life. But here's the thing. Uh, God did not create human doings. He created human beings, right? And having opportunity to not do but to just be with God is a real gift for us, one that we probably don't get as often as we should. And one of the reasons it's so beneficial is that it's, it's being alone with God where we, uh, we hear true messages. Uh, we know who we really are, which is beloved children of God. Because at the end of the day, we're not defined by what we do or how much we do. We're defined by the reality that God loves us so much that he sent his own son to the cross for us. And that's the message that, it's, that sometimes is so hard to hear in all the noise an activity of the day, and so being alone is when I think we really are able to hear that. Uh, solitude can also put us in touch with our desires, and this might be another one of those uh, challenging parts of, of being alone, because if we're honest uh, with ourselves, most of us desire all sorts of other things more than we desire God. 
right? But even coming to that realization, I believe, is the beginning of progress. We can't grow in our desire for God unless we become aware of the things that are competing for our heart for Him. Uh, And I think just when we're alone and we have the opportunity to name those things that get in the way of us connecting with God, then somehow they start to lose their power over us, and we can actually begin to cultivate a, a deeper desire for God, which is what we really want deep down. Uh, solitude also helps us to focus. Uh, if you've ever tried to get a hold of Tim here at the church on Monday morning, you'll dis- discover that you can't find him. And that's because there's a reason he doesn't show up here to work on his sermons for the following week. All right? He knows there's going to be so much activity and noise going on that he will not get anything done. And so he's, he spends time alone uh, a good chunk of the day on Mondays working on his sermons. It allows him to focus and concentrate. And the same is true uh, in our relationships with God. So often we're trying to meet with God in the midst of our activities of our day, and, and God does meet us there. But I think it's in these times alone that we're able to really focus on who God is and what he might want to say to us, what he's doing in our lives, uh, and it can be really helpful. Uh, lastly, uh, Dallard Willis uh, years ago said, what I think might be the most important part about uh, what solitude does for us. Uh, Let me read this to you. He says, Solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. And his thinking here, I believe, comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, Romans 12, 2, we read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to prove and test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, that first phrase, do not conform to the pattern of this world, is one of those ones where uh, looking at the original Greek language is actually helpful in sort of giving us a little bit more understanding in this case. Uh, because that word conform, the verb in the sentence, exists in what we call the passive voice. And so uh, most sentences are an active voice where the subject uh, does the verb, it acts on an object. But in the passive voice, uh, the object of the sentence does the acting on the subject. And so uh, maybe a better way of rendering this verse in English would be, do not allow the world to continue to form you in its own image. Okay? Uh, the picture that Paul's painting here is that there's a world system or a culture that we live in that has a certain set of values and it is actively working day and night to get us to agree to or align our lives with their values. The problem is that there are times when those values are in direct opposition to the values of the kingdom of God. And so what Willard is getting at here is that it's in solitude that we can disconnect from that constant pressure of the world and the, and the values that they want us to embrace And we can step back and get a bigger picture of of things. We can think about what's really important in life. We can think about what's important to God. And we can get a renewed perspective on the life that God has given us. And it's that renewed perspective that we're able to bring with us when we enter back into relationships with others when we come out of our times of solitude. Uh, Which brings me to my one uh, caution for practicing solitude. And again, I might be speaking to the introverts this morning. Uh, There's some of us that... That think of the idea of getting alone and being away from all the, the forces that want to shape us, and we think, oh my gosh, that sounds so refreshing uh, and enjoyable. Why, why would I ever want to re-enter uh, society and be around people again? 
And there's a good reason to do that. Uh, Mostly it's because Jesus uh, calls us to be salt and light to those around us. And that's not possible for us to do if we're constantly avoiding people, right? So so the goal here, uh, I may say it this way, uh, solitude is not an excuse to avoid people. Uh, We practice solitude so that we bring something meaningful and powerful into the relationships of the people that we already have when we come back into relationships uh, again. Uh, We practice solitude so we have something to offer those that God has put in our lives. All right, so that's that's solitude in a nutshell. Uh, Let me uh, say this. I'll give some examples of maybe how to start practicing that if that's not uh, familiar to you uh, here at the end. But I want to address silence first, and then we'll we'll talk about the practicals. Uh, So again, and this might sound obvious, but... Uh, Silence is the practice of intentionally eliminating as much external noise from our lives as possible, including our own voices, for a period of time. Okay, that makes some sense. Uh, So a number of years ago, uh, Bernie Krause, who is a guy that records nature sounds for television and film, uh, he said that in 1968, if he wanted to record one solid hour of nature sounds, uh, it took 15 hours of recording. And when I say solid hour, I mean uh, there was no cars or planes that flew overhead to interrupt the nature sound. So it took him 15 hours of recording in 1968 to get one hour of uninterrupted nature sounds. To get that same one hour of uninterrupted nature sounds in 2003, it took just over 2,000 hours of recording to get one hour of uninterrupted nature sounds. Uh, and that was 17 years ago, so I, who knows how long it would take today. But the point, I think, that he was trying to make is that it seems like, whether we intend to or not, our world is becoming increasingly noisy. And when I say noisy, I don't think uh, he necessarily meant louder. Although, if you live a couple blocks south of O Street, like I do, uh, on a Friday night, you might make the case that it's getting louder and louder, uh, as you hear everybody dragging up and down the <clears throat> down O Street. Uh, but what I think he's getting at here is that the space, the spaces between all the sound in our lives is getting smaller and smaller, right? Uh, technology, we're all aware, uh, whether it was the original Sony Walkman or our smartphones, uh, enables us to, to carry not just music with us wherever we go, but, but TV and movies and podcasts. And, and we have these things with us all the time. They've, they become sort of the background noise Uh, of our lives. Uh, 20 years ago, it was a rare thing, and I hope I'm not sounding like an old man here, but it was a rare thing uh, to see somebody walking around in public with headphones on. That was just an uncommon thing. Today, you see it all the time, everywhere you go. Maybe it's because they're smaller and they're harder to see, but half half the people you see are wearing headphones. There's this constant influx of noise and sound into our lives. Uh, Some of us even use a certain kind of noise called white noise to drown out all the other noise so that we can concentrate or sleep, right? This is is how noisy things have gotten. Uh, But here's the deal. I'm convinced that uh, it's not just this audio noise, although I do believe there's more of that than ever, uh, but I think there's other kinds of noise that really make it difficult for us to to hear from God. Uh, The one that I think really gets us is the noise of information. Uh, back in the 80s, they invented this thing called 24-hour news channels. And at the time, it was revolutionary, right? Because 
it allowed us for the first time ever to have up-to-date information about pretty much anything that we wanted to know about from anywhere in the world. And all of a sudden our world became smaller. We could see the other side of the world in real time. Uh, and, it, and it was wonderful, but it also began this process of the flow of information now, it, it never shut off. You know, there used to be that television was off the air from like midnight to 5 a.m. And so even if you wanted information, you couldn't get it, so you're forced to be quiet. Uh, but, but now it's just all there all day, every day. And I, I think there's something like 68 different full-time 24-hour news channels in just in America alone today. Uh, so it's a constant stream of information. And that's not even considering the Internet, right? So uh, that's probably our biggest source of, of constant information day in and day out. Uh, in 2015, uh, there was an article in Fast Company magazine uh, that talked about how information scientists had determined that between 1986 and 2011, which is a 25-year period, uh, the amount of information that the average person takes in in a given day increased by five times. And that was 10 years ago, so I have to think that's probably even more today. Um, and there was an article uh, just in 2018 in Forbes magazine that confirms that. Uh, and this, this blew me away. Uh, in this article, they cite research that says that 90% of all the information on the Internet, which is, what, maybe 30 years old-ish? 90% uh, of all the information on the Internet has been created in the last three years, since 2016. Okay, that's 90% of all the info in the most recent 10% of the Internet's existence. That's a curve that just goes like that, Right? So my guess is the flow of information is not going to stop anytime soon. There's something like 8,000 hours of YouTube videos uploaded every day, which tells us it's absolutely impossible to, to hear or see or watch all of this, right? There's so much out there that we can't, we can't hear it all. We can't even try. Uh, and all this is coming at us uh, faster through power, more powerful computers, and they're being delivered to these little handheld devices that we carry around with us all the time that have more processing power than what it took to put the Apollo missions in space, okay? <clears throat> that's, that's how far we've come in 30 years. And when you think about that, it's no wonder that we are tired all the time, right? Our, our poor little minds are spending all day, every day, trying to filter out what, what in this constant flow of information and noise that's coming at us is important and what's not? And it wears us out. <clears throat> uh, not only does, this, does it wear us out physically, uh, I, I believe this constant stream of content and information has made us more, you could argue knowledgeable, and that's fair, uh, but I also believe that it's made us more anxious and fearful than as a culture we've ever been before. And not only is it wearing us out mentally and physically, but, but all this, no, this sound and this noise, it's keeping us from hearing God when he wants to speak to us. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19, which is in the Old Testament, we read about the ancient Israelite prophet Elijah, who is a man who desperately needed to hear from God. And in verses 11 to 13, we read uh, this account. Uh, the angel of the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, 
there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face to protect himself from seeing God, because that's a wise thing. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. God doesn't always speak to us in a gentle whisper. Sometimes he screams at us in our circumstances. But if God does want to speak to us in a gentle whisper, uh, we have to be able to make space for us to hear him when he speaks. I, I don't think our culture is going to change anytime soon. I don't think there's much we can do about just the constant flow of sound and just visual information that's coming at us day in and day out. Uh, that's just, it's going to be what it is. So we, we can't change that, but we can choose uh, how much of that we will uh, expose ourselves to. And we can choose to take breaks from it for periods of time, which I think are great for our souls. Uh, so through the ages, uh, silence has been one of the ways to address uh, things like that. It's a practice that helps us to create space to listen to God, because in silence, the focus is on listening, not speaking. Um, silence can enhance our experience of solitude. Uh, it can be an expression of trust in God when we wait quietly before the Lord to see if he has anything he would want to say to us. Uh, silence can also help us learn to tame our tongues. Uh, if we find that we speak often or frequently or feel the need to speak regularly, uh, practicing silence, which again is learning to do without something, uh, can really help us to learn how to, how to tame our tongues. It can be really helpful. Uh, I do think that silence is, uh, is difficult for most of us, uh, and that makes some sense, because even though it's not necessarily healthy, uh, we all have a certain level of background noise that we're used to, and when you eliminate that, it starts to feel a little awkward, right? It's just not normal. Uh, so I've been, I've been trying to practice uh, some silence this week, because I figured if, if I'm going to talk about it, I should probably try it, right? Um, and it's, it's one thing I, I do enjoy doing. Uh, so I've been having my car radio off uh, all week, just not having any extra input while I'm in the car. And what I've noticed is it takes at least five minutes for me to stop thinking about all the things before my mind settles down enough that I can be aware that, oh, right, God is with me. And maybe I should be willing to listen if he would want to say something. Uh, he doesn't always say things. Uh, sometimes it's just nice to be quiet and to be with, be with God. Uh, but it takes some time. It doesn't necessarily come naturally. It takes some adjusting to. Uh, once it happens, though, it's, it's really enjoyable and it's really peaceful. So, <clears throat> so that's solitude and silence in a nutshell. Uh, let me briefly talk about just a couple practical ways to get started. Uh, if this is something that is just not part of your normal routine, that's okay. Again, not a competition. The goal is just to try and enter into these practices that Jesus had that allow us to experience the kind of life that he did as his followers. Uh, so these things aren't going to happen on their own. We'll have to be intentional. So here's a couple suggestions. By the way, there's a bunch more suggestions uh, in your worship guide. I think it's like a page and a half of stuff. Uh, but I just want to highlight a few just to give you some examples. Uh, one idea might be to eat lunch or pick, your, pick a meal of your choice, uh, but eat lunch alone uh, just one time this week, just by yourself, don't go with anybody, uh, and if you want to take it up a notch, try doing that without speaking or listening to music or whatever while you do it. Um, 
or here's another one, try putting your phone in silent mode for 15 minutes uh, each day. Just see what 15 minutes of no notifications does for your soul. Uh, you could try getting up a little earlier than usual and spending 10 minutes alone uh, in solitude and in silence. Uh, that might require leaving the house for many of you. Uh, I've noticed in the past few weeks that, although it's not technically alone because the dog's there, but I've noticed that uh, my time of walking the dog in the morning uh, is a really wonderful, quiet space for me to, to just be available to God if he wants to speak to me. Uh, our neighborhood's pretty pretty quiet. We don't get a whole lot of car traffic in the morning, and so that's been that's been really wonderful. Um, you could try the old turn your radio off in the car, or fill in your noise source, your CDs or your podcast or whatever. Turn those off and just let your declare your car this week to be a a no noise zone. Uh, so there's an option. Uh, how about this one? How about waiting until after breakfast to check your email and your social media? I know most of us, right, we, we live with our phones on our bedside table, right? So I'm guessing for a good chunk of us, we've looked at our phone before we even physically have gotten out of bed in the morning. Um, and I get it. We want to be up to date. We want to know what's going on. We want to be ahead of the game for the day. But, but our email is still going to be there. And the things that were said on social media, they're still going to be there after breakfast. And so uh, at least one day this week, Try not looking at it until after breakfast and just see what it's like to start your day without a constant instant source of information coming at you. See what that does. Um, lastly, uh, maybe consider leaving your headphones at home for a day. Uh, if, if you live in a work, in, or if you're in a work environment where it's noisy and the whole point of the headphones is to drown out the noise so you can concentrate, I understand that. Uh, so maybe in, in those cases, uh, Think of other times when you use your headphones, whether it's taking a walk or exercising. There's a time where you would normally have your headphones in. Leave them at home at least once this week and just see what that time is like. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, it's probably going to seem like your run takes way longer, but, but I'd be curious to see what it does for your, your soul in the process. All right, so those are just some suggestions. Uh, like I said, there's more in your worship guide. I've also uh, outlined in your worship guide for those of you who either are already comfortable uh, doing some solitude and silence time or who want to, your overachievers, you want to try, try to do more. Uh, I've included an outline on how to spend half a day alone with God, so it's kind of a four-hour chunk. Uh, and not to scare you off, but it does include a nap, so that's part of, of silence and solitude. Um, but I, I found over the years that, that taking half days alone with God have been really, really helpful. Uh, there's just a kind of reset that that happens in a longer or extended period with God that doesn't happen in the short 10, 15-minute one. Uh, in fact, when I was still living in Kansas and was considering moving to Lincoln to take uh, the job here at, at New Cove, uh, before we made the final decision, I, I went and spent a half day uh, alone with God at a park, and it was super helpful uh, in terms of just hearing clearly from the Lord what he wanted, and you can guess his answer because I'm here. Um, but I, those times have been really meaningful. And so uh, if you're up for it, I'd encourage you to block out some time and, and give that a try in the next couple of weeks. Uh, one final safety tip as you enter into the whole world of silence and solitude. Uh, if the first couple times you try this and you don't feel like anything's happening uh, or your, your silence or solitude didn't do something, uh, that's okay. Uh, 
for a number of reasons. One, uh, sometimes, some days God has something he wants to say to us, and other days he doesn't. He just wants to be with us, and that's okay. Uh, I think you'll find with practices like this that the more often you do it, uh, the more comfortable you become with it, the more uh, easy it is to do it, but also the more meaningful uh, they become. It becomes more natural for you to just be comfortable in the presence of God and, and sense who he is and, and feel his presence and hear his voice. Uh, so if you try it once and you feel like nothing happens, don't give up. Try it again. Uh, I promise you, over time, they become really, really valuable practices. Uh, if Jesus did it and we want to experience the life that he did, then we should probably at least give it a try ourselves. All right, so that is solitude and silence. Let me pray for us, and then I'll have the worship team come up and, and they can lead us in a little bit more singing. Father, thank you that when you designed us, you knew uh, what kind of things we would need to uh, nourish our souls and Thank you that your son, Jesus, practiced things like solitude and silence while he was here on earth so we might learn from him about how we can take care of our own souls and, and be healthy people in a very busy world. Father, I pray uh, for myself and my friends here today that as we take some next steps into the world of solitude and silence, God, I pray that you would meet us, that you would allow us to hear your voice. I pray more than anything that we would hear that you love us and you enjoy us and you want to be with us. Um, God, I pray if that's the only thing that people hear from you this week, that that's what you would tell them. But God, if there are other things that you want us to hear uh, in times alone with you, then I pray you give us the ears to hear that um, and the hearts to, to make, take action on the things that we hear. Uh, thanks for practices like this that make it possible for us to create space to hear from you. And I pray that they would become incredibly meaningful uh, in our lives and our experience with you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so this time every week, we, in thankfulness to God, give our offerings back to him. So let's give our offerings.